Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. If it doesn't work, you're just not using enough. You're listening to Software Radio, special operations military news, and straight talk with the guys in the community. In this episode, Geo and Star Wars sit down with Brandon A., a former Air Force AC-130 spooky gunner and now a detective in a law enforcement department. We talk about his time in the Air Force, what goes inside the spooky gunship, deployments, danger close fire support missions in Afghanistan, and his transition from the military to law enforcement. That's a little about your background. A little after high school, about a year or so, I joined the United States Air Force as an aerial gunner. Funny story behind that, I signed up as an actual security forces, one of those cops that check your IDs at the gate. 
and I yeah. didn't get it. Nope, didn't get it. And second job was aerial gunner. Stars in line for me on that one. I signed up to be an aerial gunner, thinking I was going to be a MH-53 gunner because I wanted to be a helo gunner on the back of a you know MH-53 with the 50 cal. So that was my idea. So pay blow. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and pretty much you know went through, just went through the military, started my career in law enforcement. And so, what's the process of getting selected for ah. an AC-130 spooky? So Perfect. it wasn't like any other special operations. You don't have to do any hard qualifications or, you know, anything like that. So I pretty much signed up to be, I ended up getting gunner after basic training, which takes place in San Antonio, Texas. We went to what's called basic air crew school. Pretty much any type of air crew within the air force goes to this school. It's very, it's very, I guess, standardized, you know, um, among all different air crew, you learn the basic stuff. Pretty much, you know, how to put on an oxygen mask. Once you go through that oh, school, right. you get then sent to your specialized career within, you know, air crew, which mine was aerial gunner school. And then that's where they teach you pretty much a basic overview of all the planes and helicopters being a gunner. So I learned about the uh, HH-60, their equipment and firearms. And I learned about the AC-130U and H model fire system. Pretty much after that, we get a bid sheet, just like every you know branch does a dream sheet. And that's where I found out the MH-53 was actually retired. So I crushed my dreams a little bit, and I got to do a little bit of research on what the HA-60 mission was and what the AC-130 mission was. The HA-60 mission was obviously defensive, you know, working with special operations like PJs. When you shoot your gun, it's probably a bad day, as opposed to the yeah. AC-130s. They're more of a forward mission, you know, very offensive, you know. So I, you know, I knew a little bit about the AC-130, but not too much. And I also knew that the AC-130 had two locations at the time, which was Herbert Field, Florida, and Clovis, New Mexico. They met the Clovis, New Mexico Bays had the H model, and then the AC-130U model was at Herbert Field. So I bid for Herbert Field to stay in Florida because that's where I'm from, and I ended up getting it. I guess not a lot of guys wanted to be on the gunship. It was actually very competitive to get on the helos. Did you say that you were the Herbert Spectres? Those were the, the U uniform models or the H? So the AC-130H model Spectres were at that yeah. base prior, right. probably a decade or so ago. But they were moved to Clovis, New Mexico. But okay. the AC-130 U-model spooky gunships were were based out of uh, Herbert Field, which that was the platform oh that I was on. So what's the difference between a spooky and a specter? Is it just yes. a nomenclature or is an actual yeah. difference? Yeah, there's, there's definitely a difference. The specter came in line first before the U-model. The U-model is a little more upgraded. So if you see a gunship that has two big guns hanging out the side as opposed to three, then it's going to be an H model. The H model TV balls and MTV and IR spectrum, you know those, uh, how they see in the spectrum. They're actually, that equipment is located in the front paratroop door on the left side. So the door's open. So pretty much they didn't have any pressurization capabilities. Oh. It was always cold. The air was flowing through there. It was always cold. And they only yeah. had two weapons, which was the 40 millimeter. And then after that was the 105 millimeter. The U model has a door, 
the MTV balls and the IR balls were on the below it, on the below the uh, aircraft. So the door was actually a door. So we had that closed. And then just after the door was the 25 millimeter, which was completely automatic. And then after that was the 40. And then after that was the 105. And b- besides that, there's a lot more differences. But those are pretty much the uh, the physical. You can see just on the outside the differences. Uh, curious, George, have you ever been on the receiving end? I guess not on the receiving end, but have you ever received <laughs> <laughs> fire support from a spooky? Man, yeah, I can't say it was spooky. Every time we had fire support, the specter is, is, is what they said it was. But that could have been, I mean, I was making the mistake of, of uh, mixing up spooky with specter myself until a couple of weeks ago when Brandon <laughs> A <laughs> is the man in uh, the post right forum that uh, straightened me out on the differences. And so, I did not want to come off like that either. I just, I just had to say something, you know, being that I was included in the yeah. community i did not want it i did not want to correct you though that's okay though because it makes a difference in the end like it's making a difference right now i don't even know if we had spooky or specter but i had them in routinely stateside you know just for just to be working with the ac-130 and abroad we had them in uh, somalia mogadishu somalia that was a thrill and they flew well they they were 24 hours you know i mean they had a aircraft in, in orbit over the city 24 hours a day, for the most part coming out of, I think, Djibouti, India, uh, coming out over the Indian Ocean. And it's so, in a few cases, they landed at the airport in Mogadishu for mm-hmm. a time. But that wasn't routine. That is not like they were basing out of there because they couldn't. It was too dangerous there. I mean, mm-hmm. they were dropping rounds all the time. And aircraft were just like touching down, kicking loads out and not even revving down their engines and just getting the hell out of there. It's kind of like a case on, I guess. Yeah, so most likely those were the uh, H models because I know we lost we lost an H model out there during a training flight, a training sortie, which was uh, codenamed Jockey 14, March 14th, 1994. March 14th. We lost one over there. So it's most likely the H models, that, that those were the Spectres. So you were correct. I think they lost seven crewmen in that uh, that crash in the Indian Ocean. Yeah, they they definitely lost more than they recovered, unfortunately. Yeah, that was a that was really sad, man. That news when I got it because, well, if you look at it, I mean, just a few months earlier, we were in country with them, you know, uh, having them as fire support, and then a few months later, we hear that one of them went down in the ocean, and it was pretty sad, man, and it broke some hearts. Yeah, and um, the circumstances around why it went down was definitely hammered in us, you know, during training. They definitely did a complete different procedures in training than they did back then. So it, it definitely affected, you know, all SOPs are written in blood. So right, right. That's well said. And that is actually one of the questions I ginned up is I wanted to hear I mean I read a story recently from another guy's perspective, but I wanted to hear if you had comments or, or perspective on that incident yourself. I'd like to hear it in your words. I pretty much know the basics as of which crew members were recovering and which, you know, weren't. I don't really know. Yeah. But but basically what I believe would happen is what I was told. I don't want to, no one quote me. But um, the specters over there, when they were doing their training, they would jettison flares out of the aircraft oh, into the yeah. water. And then they used the flares as target acquisition 
to either sight in the guns or just, you know, get practice with the guns. And the way I believe they were jettisoned during that sortie was they would jettison one of the flares outside of the, or through the barrel of the 105 millimeter. That's what I heard. So they would lower the breech, send the flare out, and then the flare would initially drop out of the barrel and then fall into the ocean. Then they would shoot it. Obviously, during this incident, my guess would be the airflow kept the flare into the barrel. You know, the aerodynamics of the barrel, probably the air just kept the flare into the you know, tip of the barrel. And then not knowing that it came out or not, they loaded around and fired the first shot, which which obviously was an unfortunate event. What would that have done? It just pretty much blown up the entire barrel, the entire gun, uh, messed with the inside of the aircraft. Because I guess oh, yeah, the yeah. burned for a while before it went down. I mean, I think the pilots rode it in the sea. Some of the aircraft, air crew uh, bailed out. Others rode it in with the pilots. Uh, kind of like a save yourself or every man for himself scenario. The explosion would definitely do catastrophic damage to the side of the aircraft. But it was enough to where they were still flying. It didn't completely explode. Some crew members made it out parachuting. But others, you know, rode it out and ended up ditching with the aircraft. And I believe a lot of the damage was, you know, the 105 was still there. So when they ditched over water, which is one of the most dangerous things that an air crew could do, I think that the water just pretty much took the 105 and ripped it apart through the hole of the aircraft as it was landing in the water and did, you know, more damage. So and it definitely was a big portion of it. But as for that, after, you know, certain, you know, certain crew members who died, Unfortunately, you know, the circumstances surrounding by certain ones, I, I couldn't pin them down for you. Do you guys go through airborne school? Because you, you mentioned parachuting, so, or is it an, in -ha an Air Force in-house school? I wish. That would have been oh, awesome to do, to, do, to do, you know, free fall, static, static line. It would have been awesome to do that. But what we got the extent of was uh, SEER training. We went to SEER out in Washington State for survival school and we also got a portion of water survival in pensacola during the water survival schools where we did our you know quote-unquote parachute training pretty much we parasailed higher than you normally would commercially and then um, when you got to a certain height you'd actually detach the wire to the boat and then you would essentially just float down to wherever that height was into the water and then pretty much you have equipment it's been used so it's not saltwater activated unfortunately so you have to blow up your own stuff so we pretty much just just fell into the water after parachuting from a certain height and then got into a butt boat and then blew it up and stayed out there for a couple of hours that was, that was pretty much the parachuting we got they did go into a lot of the parachuting like nomenclature like a checklist you know what you do if you have you know a certain line cutting through the parachute if you don't have a good shoot, you know, if you get the steer, they did go into a lot of that, you know, how to land, how to roll. But uh, as for actually, you know, jumping out of aircraft or doing static line like that, we did not get any of that. So essentially, you have to learn on the fly in, in, in case something goes down. Yeah, they, they definitely harp into, you, you know, certain techniques to use. But as for like, you know, you can't parasail over land. So we didn't detach yeah. and then land on land but we did that on water which is which is cool don't get me wrong they made sure that you they drove into you what you knew you could probably do it if it happened and if you are jumping out of an aircraft that's and you're a gunner on ac-130 and you're getting out of the aircraft it's definitely a bad day so 
I think that's a good simulation of what they do with the parasailing. That's pretty decent. You know, it gives you a chance to plunge down in the water and go through your checklist. What do they tell you about the opening shock and about body position when you exit the aircraft? I got to think back. It's been a few years. I know in our, on our right parachute door, we're able to get out that way. Or the, the ramp would be preferable because of the uh, yeah. aerodynamics of the, of the aircraft. But we do have a deflector door on the right parachute door mm-hmm. that you, you would obviously want to engage before jumping out. Or else yeah. you'll be you'll be tumbling to the side of the aircraft. But it was it was a standard, if I'm correct, the standard, you know, tuck your head and kind of bend your leg. It's kind of like an L shape. So it was it was All that right. standard uh, static line, I think, position. Yeah, that's cool. What about your specific position in the aircraft, or is that a rotational thing where you could occupy different gunner positions or load positions, etc.? It's definitely rotational. So every, each flight has four. Gunners. This is obviously changed now. The U model has been retired. They have less gunners on their new model, which is the Whiskey, and there's a J model. But as for the U model, when I was in, we had four gunners to a flight. Obviously, standard flight. If there's training, there's more. Typically, one gunner would sit in the right scanner window, which is pretty much a seat next to a huge window. And their job was primarily to look for any visible IR or uh, radar threats from the ground. Pretty much looking for plumes, stuff like that, to activate the countermeasures that we did have on the plane. One gunner would be in charge of the 25 millimeter if it ever go down. Like I said, it, it was fully automatic, which was, I guess, good and bad in a sense. And they were also the same gunner would work the 40 millimeter. And the 40 millimeter is by far my favorite weapon of the uh, gunship. It was like the sniper rifle. Even better, it was actually it was actually utilized during World War II. So that's still the pretty Bofors cool. Cannon, shooting, right? Yes, it was the Bofors. Okay. Pretty much one gunner could do that. You know, it was a standard you know clip with four rounds. As the gun keeps shooting, you can go back to the rack, grab a clip. So it was it was a one man operation. The one hundred five was a two man operation. You had one guy working what we called the uh, LWCPs. It was pretty much the computers that were able to lower the weapon, you know, and then put the weapon back in battery for the fire control officer for them to do their shooting. Because we were just loaders. We were actually didn't pull any triggers. And then you had another gunner on the other side of the 105 who would actually extract the brass. So four total. Okay. Let's talk about deployments. How are deployments for a spooky crew? Oh, they were great. You know, being air crew, we didn't have the year deployments like a lot of the people did. Uh, being air crew, they don't want you to get complacent. Complacency is dangerous, you know, and you're you're in a million-dollar aircraft, you know, a couple hundred million dollars, whatever price it is. I couldn't give you that price. but So they pretty much made rotations around three to five months estimating per air crew. So it was, it was nice. The money was nice. The experience was nice. Obviously, as a new gunner, you know, you got haze, which I agree with. You know, hazing makes it better. Airman, <laughs> you know, that's the first time I got to drive stick and it was under a lot of pressure. So, but I appreciated it. And of course, you know, you get to go to combat. I mean, it's not combat like the guys on the ground, but it's, it's aerial combat, which was, um, which was nice to get into, you know, it's just like your other career fields and special forces where everybody's chomping at the bit to do the job they're trained to and make a difference, you know, save lives. And, Essentially, that's what I got to do. So uh, deployment was awesome. 
and I got paid tax free for it. So nice. That's oh, only God. that's always a good incentive. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Now you were in the Iraqi theater and the Afghan Afghanistan theater as well. So my first deployment, they actually asked <laughs> where I wanted to go. You know, I could volunteer to go to Iraq or I can volunteer to go to Afghanistan. Thinking now, I wish I would have gone to Iraq just to say I went to Iraq. But at the time, I was gung-ho. I wanted to do something. And Iraq was the the vacation. It was like the Qatar theater, you okay, know? Like, yeah. So yeah, it was yeah. like the pool. You had a pool. You know, there was nothing going oh. on. You'd fly, but like you, your chances of getting combat were pretty much zero. So I said, send me to Afghanistan. And when was this? Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet that's right up to $1,500 again sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in Ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park that's 1-800-GAMBLER From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action, and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network work my first deployment was around i would say approximately february of 2011 okay i think that knocks out one of the questions i was going to ask um clearly you weren't involved in support during any of uh, greg coker's operation uh and that is gecko rhino operation on the d-day of afghanistan because you were there much later Greg is not finished telling all of his stories. I read the book now, as you know, and he's, I think he's on like chapter 16. He knocks out like a couple a day. 
and I'm ghostwriting that for him. So mm-hmm. I think by the time he you know finishes all eight years of his time in that theater, there's going to be more deployments there that I wonder if you weren't part of, you know. So we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, I mean that'd be that'd be pretty cool. But yeah, definitely got in there much later. But yeah, I still I still got to see combat each deployment. So I guess I can't complain on that part. So speaking of deployments, can you tell us your most memorable mission? I just want to just throw out there that I was deployed to Kandahar. So I was on CAF, Kandahar Airfield, mm-hmm. and yeah. we did we did most of our missions up north because that's where all the action was. And there wasn't really too much action down in Kandahar. I guess at the time. So one of my, I guess, most memorable missions would be April 2013. It was a huge engagement. I think it actually made Air Force Times. But pretty much it was a tick, which is a tro- troops in contact. So we were pretty much just uh, lounging around, you know, our camp. So we got spun up real quick. You know, we're running out the door, jumping in the aircraft and flying up north. And immediately on station, there were some ground guys taking fire, and we were able to provide close air support, which I heard was really close, danger close, I believe. Danger close, yeah. And the unfortunate part about it was our capabilities to see the ground weren't there because there's so much vegetation. So, yeah, so I remember the JTAC at the time, he was actually walking rounds in. So it was pretty hectic. You know, you get, I get to hear the JTAC talk. Obviously, only one person on the uh, gunship can talk to the JTAC, but we get to see, we can still hear what the ground party is actually, you know, saying and stuff like that. So it was pretty, it was pretty chaotic. You know, what was, what we were listening to. We end up, it was, I believe, between two gunships and four Warthog A10s. We end up uh, finishing that op. And I remember we were the first gunship on station and we actually, was called Winchestered. Yeah. Our okay. our forty and one oh five Winchester means you you shot all your rounds. So right. so we actually Winchestered, pulled off station, and the next gunship went on station. But after that we flew to uh we flew to Bath, Bagram Airfield to um just refuel. But I mean, in a nutshell that was probably the uh, most probably the best mission I was on, mainly because we did a lot of shooting. And a lot of guys came home after that mission, too. So that was definitely a plus. But yeah. um, I don't want to discredit any other missions. We did a lot of cool missions with Brit Special Forces, MARSOC. You know, it was it's so it's hard to pick one mission. I'm guessing I'm pitching, picking that mission because of the shooting, because, it you know, yeah. what's the point of being a gunner if you can't shoot? You know, we had other missions that were like really good where we were actually involved in combat. Uh, protecting some guys and the, and then you know the uh, Brit special forces would come meet us on our compound and ask you know invite us to dinner which they always had a nice setup better than ours so it's 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 hard to select one but I, if I had to pick one it'd be that one I can't get over this this last this last uh, story which weapon went Winchester Brandon it was actually both 40 and 105. The 25 millimeter, I don't believe we used, and you don't want to use that one, especially if they're, if you can't see the ground. Uh, but the 40 okay. and 105, we did shoot. If I remember, it's 252 rounds of 40 is what we carry. Actually, that might be even training mission. I don't, that might be a full loadout. It's been a couple of years, so. And we carry 100 rounds of 105. 
And to kind of kind of bring back up that mission, we on our 105s, we have different fuses for different functions. Sure. You know, one's point detonating, one's delay. You know, I, I don't want to get too much into it, but we did have a certain loadout set for a certain function. So we shot all the rounds to the point where when we got to the to the uh, undesired, you know, setting, I actually had a f- screwdriver in my Molly vest. And each mm-hmm. round before sending it out, I had to, to adjust the fuse yeah, to, right. to where we wanted it. So it, it was it was pretty, uh, pretty intense. So right on when you guys Winchester, I mean, are you seriously like zero rounds or do you keep a percent for like the but and I say that because Coker's I think he keep he kept a percent of round even after Winchester just for protection for his flight back to the fob. I wonder if the ACs did that as well. What platform was that? Do you know? Oh, Greg's. I mean, that was an that was an AH six attack helicopter. Yeah. See, I feel like that type of platform would definitely um, could utilize extra rounds if they were to keep the rounds on board. But as for us, no. Nah, we if we use if we use all the rounds, we're off station. We're going back to rearm. Uh, just curious, have you ever had any ground force come? to your compound or send their thanks after a mission. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So that was probably one of the greatest parts of the mission, especially we had a lot of guys come out, you know, to kind of like shadow, I guess you would say they would ride with us and their ground party would be on the ground. Then we all meet up and we talk. That was fun, but it was, it was, uh, I appreciated it more when we actually did a combat mission to where we had, you know, we were overhead and, you know, there were, people moving tactically on the on the ground guys position and they gave us the go-ahead you know to eliminate the threat and then we escort them home and then when they come home they come meet us and it's just it was it was a great experience so you so yeah that, that happened pretty often we had an opportunity in uh mogadishu you know, the word came out that a couple of guys could go up with uh specter you know make a make fly a shift with them and uh being my bud you know we were totally on board with that we were all excited about doing it and when it came down to it they could only take one at a time so i let my my bud will go ahead of me and he was gone a long time you know and when, when he came when he came back he was all upset so that was such bullshit so what's wrong he said well I, he had to sit in the seat with a seatbelt on for 10 hours solid and not move or ever get up you know oh man and that's I not like, right well, I said, well, what did you expect? You think you're going to be up there jamming the 105, you know? <laughs> no, man. She goes, yeah, but I didn't expect, you know, to be, you know, stuck in a seat with a seatbelt for 10 solid hours. We're get up, move around and see, talk to guys and see what guys were doing. You know, I mean, they didn't fire the entire mission. So he was upset. Well, uh, well I, yeah, I I mean, I'd I be upset too. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, want, I didn't want to do that. I, You know, I, 10 hours I could been doing something better anyway yeah we we had the gunship um we were like the grease monkeys of the gunship so we were the ones that were like the you know enlisted men playing jokes on everybody else in their crew so so (laughs) they had they had like the booth is what we called it and that's where you have your uh your ir operator you know all your people with the crosshairs your you know fire control officer your navigator that's where you had all the uh the other guys and then yeah those guys are strapped to that seat for hours on end during missions and then the only time they get up is when they go to the bathroom it's pretty much like a stand-up stall i'm, I'm sure you've been on a c-130 
It's that one in the back oh, yeah. right, just after the right parachute door. So that's pretty much what we have. Yeah, right. yeah I have a funny story about that. I probably shouldn't tell about that story, but um, <laughs> but I don't know. Back then, that you know, that was the uh, what was that nineties, late eighties, early nineties, early nineties. Sorry. So I don't know what their like SOPs were, but we definitely didn't you know let our ride along sit in one place. So you can move around. You know, um, we had our own. It's called Gunner ISO. We had our own like ISO, so we had comms. So we can just talk to the gunner and the loadmaster. So we wouldn't oh, be yeah. able to talk. We wouldn't be able to talk to the booth unless we went into the booth and plugged into their ISO. So right. we would let them, right. you know, go where they want. You know, plug in. You know, just chill out. We always had like rat packed MREs. Unfortunately, you know, like just you know making conversation. It was always. Don't get me wrong. It was always fun. Probably more fun to be on the gun deck. Um, than anywhere else in the aircraft. No offense to those guys, but there's that saying, you know, it's always funner with the gunner. So, yeah, and, and I mean that was our whole point to get on the ride is we wanted to rub elbows with the crew. You know, wanted what they had to say, and uh, it just didn't work out that way. And another thing they did that kind of caught me off guard is when the Spectre did lay down on the tarmac that one time on in Mogadishu Airport, they lowered. The ramp and they laid out all, all this a row of 105 shells of cartridge uh, casings rather right mm-hmm. and the casings were decorated a little bit and they had you know uh, the, the spooky emblem on it you know with the the banshee with fire coming off his back of his head and they were selling those things does that, does that sound familiar at all not is this deployed like they had uh, they had the shells and had it engraved on them yeah they well they and engraved or overlaid something or painted, decorated, you know, as a, a souvenir momentum of, you know, the AC-130. And they were so Oh, okay. Too. I see what you're saying. So it wasn't like laid out yeah, after a combat mission or anything like that. It has nothing to do with a combat mission. So, yeah. Because so, yeah. yeah. So they do collect brass. You know, yeah. I have a couple of, I have a couple buddies in there now, uh, I believe, at this point. It's, it's usually off and on. They are able to collect okay. it. You're, you know, maybe you're not able to collect it yeah. you know it, it always changed but right now you can't collect it those guys from the squadron that collect it they have a cnc machine they're able to do cool stuff i have a 105 stein so it's yeah. like a bottom it's like a bottom of a 105 yeah. a top of a 105 and then i got a, a 25 millimeter handle on it i mean it's you can't use it it's top heavy it's, it's nice but oh but yeah they do certain stuff you know i got a lot of cool stuff out of there but yeah there's some guys who do their own machining and stuff like that on the side and they can be part of that in the squadron i was going to transition to your transition from the military and into law enforcement so how easy was it it was a kind of a rough transition so you know usually when you get out of the military and you, you make a lot of good you know friends and the camaraderie's there and you get out and you know time keeps going for you, it's like time has stopped, but, you know, your squadron keeps going. Everybody keeps deploying. Your friends, you know, keep going. It was a little hard to kind of, like, come face-to-face with that. And I really didn't find myself. So it was like I got out of the military. so excited to get out just because, you know, there's a lot of different things. I don't want to go into it. But when I got out, I started, like, actually rewind a little bit. During the like the end of my military career, I started, like, brewing beer as a hobby. I started, like, selling myself to, like, different craft beer places and then uh i end up getting hired at a world of beer i'm not sure where oh. you guys are at but we have those here i end up getting hired as a bartender 
and they had a brew class. I got to brew beer on the side, teach people how to brew beer. So I was like, you know, happy that I was going nowhere in life, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> but, you know, I was really good at what I was doing. So I became a bartender and then I ended up getting uh, assistant manager and product manager within a couple of years, if that. Mm-hmm. So I got mm-hmm. to go to all the events and stuff like that. And then, you know, I kind of looked at myself like, you know, what am I doing? Brew beer is fun. Working with beer is definitely fun. But I was drinking a lot more, less exercising. So I decided to get out of that. So I ended up working at a gun shop selling tactical firearms. Damn. Yeah. So I got to work at jobs that I liked. Like it was my hobbies. Like if yeah. I had a hobby, I would like, okay, let's, what job can, you know, tie into this hobby? So I started selling tactical firearms, really going nowhere again. And then after that, I started getting into like automotive stuff. You know, who doesn't like doing your own oil change? So I started uh, working at an automotive place. And then one of my family members' friends who used to work at the jail with my mom, you know, why she's like, why don't you join law enforcement? And you know, I've always wanted to be military. And I guess I never really thought about it, you know, and I missed that, you know, paramilitary type of field. So I was like, you know, why not? So I put in for my local sheriff's office at like the bare minimum. They have a position called PST, public service technician. So you pretty much take calls for service that are like no bad guys are at. So it was really boring, but definitely, um, definitely useful information for what I wanted to do. So I had like a pepper spray. I never had a firearm, you know? So it's like, you know, you take this guy out of the military and then you give him a pepper spray and... I actually used my GI Bill to go to the academy, and I cut my hours down part-time. Once I was done with the academy, waited a couple months, they ended up picking me up. Same agency picked me up for his deputy. And, and man, that was – I mean, being a deputy is is great. I love my job. I started getting into – I started you know, finding out what my niche was as a patrol deputy, and it was definitely narcotics. So I was uh, one of the more proactive deputies. You know, I – I didn't take any shit, and I made people pretty much hand over their dope willingly. And then I took them to jail. And then I end up getting recognition for a lot of that. And, you know, a lot of that stuff was, you know, I had help. You know, I had a lot of buddies, a good good team. You know, a lot of my best friends are on the same squad as me, so we worked as a team. Oh, oh man. Sweet dude. Oh, yeah. I mean, we, I have, like, best oh, friends from the dude. military, but I definitely have a close bond with the guys I work with now. So then I ended up getting picked up for a proactive unit. So pretty much, you know, riding unmarked vehicles, you know, watching drug yeah. houses, pulling people, yeah. leaving drug houses, getting drugs, you know. So I got to say that um, I miss the military, but um, the law enforcement career is definitely a nice, definitely has a nice niche for me right now. So and that's pretty much my transition. It was a little rough. You know, I went through <laughs> beer, firearms and and cars and trucks and. But I got to find where I, uh, you know, I got, I'm set up for a good career. Yeah, 30 years retirement's a little longer than the 20 that I should have probably stayed in for the military, but no regrets, you know? Yeah, that's, I, I'll, I'll tell you, man, uh, I think the best way I can relate to you on that being a patrol deputy on a, in a proactive unit, we got to do some building climbing in uh, New Orleans one year with Delta. And we had two, two nights off is what they gave us. And they offered us up. Uh, to be able to do a ride along with those PA cars, proactive cars, you know, that were mm-hmm. unmarked. And, and uh, we rode around with them the first night and 
I, I think that that was about as much adventure as I was have ever had in the military or otherwise, and so much so that we uh, elected to take the second night and ride along with them again, just because it was that much that much fun. But we broke did, so many rules too. But did, yeah, yeah, did those did those guys pretty, able to show you something? Uh, you know, proactive that night, dude. It was nonstop, man. It was like. It was like a dance card. You know, you're done with this and go on to the next thing. There was like no lulls. And, That's awesome. You know, we were just, I mean, I can't even, we were busting into, you know, places, apartments and searching them. Man, just chasing people. That's what they did is they just tooled through neighborhoods and anybody that looked at them wrong, they grabbed them. Or if they started running, then the shit was on. The it's running. Fun, isn't it? <laughs> it, yeah. was, it was fun, isn't it? Oh, man. I love this job. It's Unfreaking believable, man. I love what I do, and then, like, for selfish reasons, you know, I get that adrenaline. I get to do fun stuff, but the same, you know, at the same, you know, token, I get to serve my own community. I get to take these guys off the street, you know. Yeah. So it's it's yeah. it's definitely an all around good situation that I'm in right now. Roger that, man. I mean, you know, Stavros, you look at this. He has the most cool guy, dude, career of anybody. You know, he's got military. He's got beer, he's got guns, he's got cars, he's got cops. Check it out. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. Sounds like, it, sounds, it sounds like a movie plot. What's next, though? I know, yeah. Yeah, I was like, nobody could be all those things in one lifetime. Yeah, but Brandon did. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that, man. Yeah, I mean, I've I had a great life, great family support, great friend support. I, I really couldn't for ask, you know, ask for anything more. Hopefully there's no next thing, you know, from this. I love my uh, job. I'm a detective now. I just love what I do. And I'm, I'm starting to branch off a little bit. And I, I'm seeing a lot of the, you know, ex-special forces do a lot of training, you know, their own training um, brands and their own training type of, you know, courses. So I'm already thinking about retirement, which is pretty far along the way. 25 years, I guess we're talking. Um, yeah. That would probably be something that I could look into myself doing if I end up having the traits of an instructor, you know, because there's there's people out there who could do the job and then there's people out there who could teach the job. So I'm hoping, yeah. you know, once my stint's over, and if I still want to work, which I'm sure I do, there's no way I can sit at home. Hopefully I have the skills to teach the job. So nice. I, I can't um, imagine you not being able to teach. Yeah. I was an FTO, which is a field training officer in, in law enforcement. I do like teaching, but I also, you know, that's just me thinking. And I, I want to kind of get feedback from everybody else. So if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But Nice. Well, Brandon, thank you very much for joining us for this episode of Software Podcast. You as well, Gio. My pleasure, man. It was it was great, man, to sit down with, with, a, with a Spectre crew, but Brandon, of all people, and with that, with that uh, ground of his. Wow, that's pretty. That's pretty solid. Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. Yeah, this was definitely a great opportunity. You know, I just recently started subscribing to SoftRep. At first, I was using your guys' app, reading articles, and then the articles I wanted to read, I couldn't because I had to buy them. And then next thing I know, I'm like, you know what? Let's just try it. And I don't have any regrets. You guys, you guys, you guys push some good content through. So. That's good. Yeah. That. Thank, thanks, man. It's nice to hear that people appreciate the content we put out. I mean, the only problem I've had so far is that if I already read the most up-to-date article in like 10 minutes, I want to read another one, and I and I go back to the app and I see the same article. It's a little, <laughs> it's a little <laughs> upsetting. But you know, 
you guys are only human, so I'll wait. I'll wait for the next one. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good uh, dilemma to be in. Yeah, but I, I definitely appreciate you guys having me. Thanks, man. You've been listening to Soft Rep Radio. New episodes up every Wednesday and Friday. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Soft Rep Radio. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action, and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network. Network. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.